well, um, the kids have already taught us everything we need to know. So maybe this will be quick, or maybe we'll just really get it. Um, good morning, guys. My name is Haley Aka. Uh, if we have not met, it's, it's just really good to be with you. My husband, Amy G, and I have been attending at CV for about five years, and we have um, a one-and-a-half-year-old named Anderson, who's not here this morning because he would not be able to tolerate mama up here. That would not go over well. Um, I think it's a good idea to get the obvious out of the way first, which is that I am not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Um, this is my first time up here with you guys, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. But what I spend 40 hours a week doing every week um, is that I am a policy analyst. That's my job. Um, what that means is that I review data and research about some of the biggest challenges that face our state, and I take that you know, complex data and information and I translate it into simpler terms and into clear action steps so that um, our elected officials in our state can make informed decisions about the challenges that we face, or at least they have the option to make informed decisions because we've provided them with some information about how to do that. Um, I, in particular, I do a lot of work in addiction and criminal justice policy. Um, and, you know, another caveat here is that I don't work with people who are um, in recovery or who use drugs. I don't work directly with people who have been incarcerated or are currently, are currently incarcerated, but I work with advocates and treatment providers and criminal justice professionals and ultimately our policymakers so that we can um, improve the support systems that we have for people in our state. Because of my work, because of how I spend my time every week, I am really familiar with what I'm going to call structural brokenness. Right? That we have systems and institutions in our society, in our state, globally, nationally, that we rely on to function in society, but that are not serving us well, or are not serving all of us well, that are discriminatory in some way, or that are founded on bad ideology. I think the criminal justice system is a really good example of that, right? We rely on law enforcement, our courts, and our correction system to protect us, to bring justice when wrongdoing has occurred. But the history, our history of those systems, is that um, our first law enforcement organizations, our first police forces, were meant to capture and return enslaved people. That's why we had them. And our prison system was used to perpetuate slavery as well. After slavery was abolished in the 1800s, this series of black codes came into place that made it illegal for black people to do all sorts of things like loiter or be unemployed. And when black people were then incarcerated for violating those laws, they were leased back out to plantations and to factories as free labor back into the forced labor situation that they had just been liberated from. Our criminal justice system was the tool used to continue to oppress people. So there's no surprise, right, that we see today black people incarcerated at five times the rate of white people, both nationally and in Ohio, that statistic is true. And we also see that low-income folks are swept up into that same system, a system that was originally designed to oppress. 
Now, policy work, <laughs> what I dedicate my professional time to, is trying to redeem and retrofit these systems, um, these structures, into something that looks a little bit more like justice, that's more beneficial to the people that are impacted by them. Um, and all the time, we make progress. We really do. Dr. King said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, and I believe that. I, I do believe that. Um, but it's hard work. And sometimes it's an uphill battle, and things feel a little bit stacked against us. And I think that's why I felt particularly drawn to Lent over the past few years. This is a season in the liturgical calendar where we get to acknowledge our own brokenness, our need for God, and our collective brokenness and need for God. It's also a time where we get to meditate on the very real presence of Jesus and his power to conquer sin and death because Easter is coming. Amen? Easter is coming. So as you know, this Lent we're reading through Brian Zahn's uh, The Unvarnished Jesus. And it's been a really great opportunity for me and I hope for you guys to think about the real Jesus. Who is Jesus without the cultural lacquer that we put on him um, that's so easy to encounter um, in the United States in 2022? We're continuing that today, going through our devotional, and um, like the kids got started for us, our scripture today is the prodigal son. This is a familiar, sto familiar story to a lot of us, um, and is really an opportunity to think about what justice looks like in the kingdom. And what would it mean for me to partner with kingdom justice in a world that defines justice really differently? So we're going to do that. I'm going to pray for us really quick. Father, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for being the way maker, the miracle worker, the one who gets it done. God, we are open and available to you this morning to hear what you have to say to us. We acknowledge your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to start before the beginning. Before Jesus starts telling this prodigal son story at all, at the beginning of Luke 15, Jesus is teaching. He's speaking to a crowd. People have gathered around him, um, and the Pharisees are annoyed. Luke 15, 1 through 2 says, All the tax collectors and the sinners were coming close to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling. This fellow welcomes sinners, he said. He even eats with them. So the Pharisees are annoyed. So let's, let's define some of the words that the Pharisees just used. First is sinners, right? So this is in the Greek. I'm going to butcher the Greek. You'll have to forgive me. Hamartelos is the word. It's used throughout the New Testament. It means missing the mark or falling short. And, you know, describes people that just, like, aren't quite getting it. There are two ways it's used. One is um, meant to describe sort of all people, people who are not free from sin. A good example of this is, you know, the verse, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of us. Missing the mark. All of us not quite there. The second way that it's used is... Um, like here and in other places in the New Testament, to describe people who are especially sinful, who have particularly don't get it. Um, 
the Pharisees here, this fellow welcomes sinners. These are people who are living into some broken places in their lives, living in a way that might be harmful to themselves or others, and I think importantly, living in a way that's looked down upon in their cultural context. These are the people that Jesus welcomes at the beginning of Luke 15. We also have the Pharisees, right, the religious authority. Um, they are strict about observing rites and ceremonies in Jewish law. They're, they do things the right way, culturally and religiously. And Jesus is constantly butting heads with these guys because they are so devoted to the law, they have a really hard time understanding God's heart. They're doing everything right, but they're perpetuating systems <laughs> Like I talked about before, these broken systems that don't look like kingdom justice, and Jesus is going to tell them about it here in Luke 15. So the Pharisees are annoyed. Jesus overhears them being annoyed, and so he starts telling a series of stories. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase the first two really quick, and then he launches into the prodigal son. The first one is about a lost sheep. Jesus says, in summary, imagine you have 100 sheep and you lose one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 and go find that one lost sheep? And when you find it, wouldn't you be so happy that you'd want to throw a party and celebrate with your friends and your neighbors because your lost sheep had come home? Then he tells a story about a lost coin. Imagine a woman has 10 coins and she loses one of them. What would she do? She'd search until she found her lost coin and then she'd celebrate and party with her friends because she had found her lost coin. This is how God feels when just one sinner repents, Jesus says, when one person finds their way home. And then he tells the story after the lost sheep and the lost coin, we hear about the lost son. So Luke 15, 11, Jesus went on. Once there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the property. So he divided up his livelihood between them. Not many days later, the younger son turned his share into cash, and he set off for a country far away where he spent his share in having a riotous good time. This is New Testament for everyone, and I like that, riotous good time. When he had spent it all, a severe famine came on that country, and he found himself destitute. So he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in the field to feed his pigs. He longed to satisfy his hunger with the pods that the pigs were eating and nobody gave him anything. So we see this son who comes from what we, I think, can assume is a loving family. There's generational wealth here. They're landowners. They've got stuff. He takes half of his family's estate not just money set aside for him, half of everybody's everything. Liquidates it and spends it on a riotous good time, which we can sort of fill in the blanks of what that means, and the older brother later is going to you know, fill it in a little bit more. Um, then some unexpected hardship comes, and he finds himself desperate and needy and alone. The particulars of this story, I think, are a little bit hard to picture in our current context. There's this farmland inheritance. There is a famine that brings a country to its knees. And certainly these things can still happen today, but it looks a little bit different than our you know, central Ohio 2022 way of life. But I think we can recognize this point of desperation that the young man finds himself in. And given the work that I do, the thing that comes 
immediately to my mind um, is what people's life can look like when they're in the throes of active addiction. Right, a person has left home, spent all of their money, spent money that wasn't theirs to spend, and they're sick, and they're hungry, and they're out of options. Jesus goes on. He says, the young man comes to his senses. Just think, he said to himself, there are all my father's hired hands with plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I shall get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I do not deserve to be called your son any longer. Make me like one of your hired hands. This is a solution that makes sense to uh, the young man, certainly. It likely makes sense to the Pharisees. It makes sense to the people in the crowd. Um, you know, this guy has done a bad thing. And he's hurt his family and he's wasted their money, and it makes sense that if he were allowed to come home, he would need to work to earn his keep. He's not going to be back in right relationship with his family. It's going to look different. That's fair. This is what justice looks like to them culturally. So I wonder you know, if we can imagine what justice looks like to us culturally. What does justice look like for our, our neighbor, our friend, who's in active addiction, who's struggling. Um, well, let's imagine this is an illicit substance and you know it's illegal to use the drug that's, um, that's keeping him, right? So that means that likely when you get to this point of desperation, law enforcement is involved. Either found using, found selling, um, an overdose has occurred, and law enforcement's on the scene. That means that um, now we're in a, we're in a place where um, that person is likely to be incarcerated, held at least for a time. Um, withdrawal from drugs is likely to happen in a jail cell, which is horrible, horrible. Um, and then there's likely to be a sentence, fines, more jail time. That incarceration leads to other things, family separation, low quality healthcare, which Lord knows that's what this person needs is healthcare barriers to future housing and employment opportunities because now there's a criminal record, punishment on top of pain, punishment on top of punishment on top of punishment on top of pain. That's what justice looks like in the United States. That's what's right um, in the way that our system operates. And the same is true here for the prodigal son. Justice to him looks like serving the family that he betrayed and never being in right relationship with him again. Punishment on top of pain. Jesus goes on, so the, the young man gets up and he goes to his father. He's ready to deliver this message that he's come up with. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and his heart was stirred with love and with pity. He ran to him, hugged him tight, kissed him. Father, the son began, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I don't deserve to be called your son any longer. But the father said to his servants, hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet and bring the calf that we fattened up, kill it and let's eat and have a party. This son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found and they began to celebrate. The son doesn't even make it home. He doesn't even get there before his father sees him in the distance and starts sprinting at him. 
right? He doesn't even get to say, I'm sorry, before his dad is throwing clothes onto him. You can imagine what this kid looks like, right? He's been in the fields with the pigs and he's starving and he's got nothing and his dad is embracing him and clothing him and he, not only does the father not force his son into servitude, the son doesn't even get to ask for that before he's throwing a party. This makes no sense to the Pharisees. None of this makes any sense. Remember, the story started because the Pharisees were annoyed that Jesus would eat with sinners, that he would spend time with people that are living in brokenness. To them, this is immoral. This is against the law. This isn't how we do things. And the older brother's perspective in the story represents that view, represents what they're thinking about. So the older brother, he's out in the fields. He comes home, and um, when he gets near to the house, he heard music, and he hears dancing. He called to one of the servants and asked, what's going on? Your brother came home, he said, and your father has thrown a great party. He's killed the fat calf because he got him back safe and well. The older brother flew into a rage and wouldn't go in. Then his father came out and pleaded with him. Look here, he said to his father. I've been slaving for you all of these years. I have never disobeyed a single commandment of yours. You have never given me even a young goat so I can have a party with my friends. This is the spicy part. But when this son of yours comes home, once he's finished gobbling up your livelihood with his whores, you kill the fat calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me. Everything I have belongs to you. But we had to celebrate and be happy because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. I don't know about you guys, this older brother perspective is so relatable to me. It's so relatable to me, he's so mad. He followed all the rules, he stayed, he worked, he did what he was asked to do. His brother has caused so much hurt and so much pain, not only personally in their relationships, but financially for everyone who works there, for the entire family. And this just, this celebration, this party, this reaction feels so wrong to him. His brother should certainly be punished and the older brother should probably get a reward, like get to throw his own party. Um, and I think that we can all feel this way sometimes. I don't think I'm the only one that can relate to that feeling. When people in our lives make choices that hurt us and hurt them, forgiveness can be really hard. And we can lean on this punishment as justice cultural narrative because it can feel right in the moment. So we imagine our neighbor again who's struggling with addiction and he's done some rough things. He's hurt his family and now he comes home. He says, I'm sorry. He wants another chance. I think we can understand the mixed emotional reaction you could have in that situation. A mix of joy and anger, relief, hesitation that we could experience there. And yet, I think this is what Jesus wants the Pharisees to understand. This is what we can hear in the story too, right? That this lavish forgiveness that the father has for his son, this is what justice looks like to God. This is an example of kingdom justice. In Brian Zahn's commentary, he says, Jesus showed us that the heart of the father contains no wrath towards sinners, but overflows with gratuitous love. The father bears the loss and forgives his son from his treasury of inexhaustible love. 
He just forgets. There's no payment. There's no appeasement. And it's true, right? That's what we see. The son, as soon as the son's heart softens, as soon as he starts on the path walking home, as soon as he takes that first step of repentance, the father is running towards him. Can't get to him fast enough. He's welcomed. He's embraced. The band starts playing. It's radical forgiveness, and it's true reconciliation in that relationship. A couple of caveats here. This, this is what, what, I, what I present, is that this is what justice looks like to God. A couple of caveats. One, that doesn't mean there isn't work to do after the party. Doesn't mean that there aren't relationships to be repaired, trust to be rebuilt. That's true. Another, another caveat is that reconciliation in relationship does not mean that that person gets unlimited access to your life and resources. That's probably not wise. I think boundaries are good and important. So those things are true. And it's true that kingdom justice does not include wrath or sort of, let me use the word violent, sacrifice, self-flagellation on the part of the wrongdoer. There's no punishment on top of the pain here. That kind of justice is a human idea. That's not a God idea. Repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. That's justice to God. This morning, the kind of love that God has for us. No matter what seasons we've lived in our lives, what brokenness we've lived to, lived into, what brokenness we're currently living into, what we thought about this morning, this sort of radical forgiveness and acceptance is offered to us right now, every day. I also want us to hear that this kind of love that the father gives to his son, that we kind of wish the older brother would give to the younger brother, that sort of love we have access to in Christ Jesus. We can be that person. We have access to this capacity for forgiveness and inclusion at our disposal through Jesus. We learned, we did a Galatian study before this study, and we learned that the only thing that matters, right? Kids told us every single week. The only thing that matters is faith working itself out through love. That following the cultural rules is a dead end. It doesn't get us where we want to go. The only thing that matters is faith working itself out through love. I'm going to read Galatians, uh, that section, 5, 4 through 6 again for us. You are split off from the Messiah, you people who want to be justified by the law. You have been dropped out of grace. For we are waiting eagerly by the Spirit and by faith for the hope of righteousness. For in the Messiah, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any power. What matters is faith working through love. The Pharisees and the older brother, they're really concerned about being justified by the law. Right? That's how they stay safe. That's how they you know, are right, that's how they win. Um, I think that's tempting for all of us, right? We, we live in our cultural context. We know what the rules are. Um, that's a really, relatable, a really relatable story. I think the encouragement of this prodigal son story that Jesus tells us, I think the encouragement for us is that when we fall short, there is reconciliation available to us. And when other people fall short, we have the ability to extend radical forgiveness. 
our systems and our structures, you know, the several that I've talked about, they might not look like that. Our criminal justice system doesn't look like that. Um, many, just think of a system <laughs> that you've bumped up against. They might not look like this. But in Jesus' name, we can look like this. We can be a people that lead in re reconciliation um, in our own lives with the people close to us and community with our neighbors. I think this is part of what it looks like to serve King Jesus and for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We get to be a part of that. And that's really good news, I think. So, um, in closing, I just, I'm curious. Where do you all see yourself in the story that Jesus is telling here? Do you see yourself in the younger brother? Are you living out of some pain or some brokenness? in an area of your life, and you're feeling the invitation to turn back, to go home, is God reminding you that he's waiting and he's ready with open arms? Do you see yourself in the older brother's story? Have you been following the rules, religious, cultural, whatever, kind of hoping that they'll keep you safe, that there will be a reward? Are you being invited to break ties with some of these rules, with some power structures, knowing that God has more freedom and abundance for you on the other side of that? Or do you feel sort of uncomfortable with this idea that we should be so freely forgiving someone who's caused so much damage? Maybe you agree with the older brother and with the Pharisees that God should be angrier about this. There was a lot of pain. <laughs> Maybe someone in your life has caused some damage and forgiveness just feels really hard right now. Wherever you are, wherever you see yourself in this story, you are loved, you are welcomed, um, and you're loved and welcomed by God and by us. Thank you, Kelly, for passing out. I'm gonna take mine, because we're gonna do this here in a second. Um, I think this actually would be a good time for the band to come back up if you guys are ready. I'm going to pray for us in this transition. Father, you are here. You are active in this place. And we want to hear from you, God. Help us to see the beauty of the gospel of forgiveness as you've proclaimed it. And liberate us from our wrong ideas about an angry, violent, or retributive God. You are good. You love us. You are equipping us to bring reconciliation here to our families, our coworkers, our friend groups, our communities, wherever you've called us. Lord, amen.